Did you get the memo? Often you hear that phrase of you showed up to church and you had a light blue shirt on and they had a dark blue shirt on or they had a white shirt on. They would say, well, didn't you get the memo? Last week uh, there was a, two people in the Walker, connected with the Walker family, had that same shirt on. Well, they didn't get the memo, but they wore the same shirt anyway. Okay. I won't mention their names because I won't embarrass them any more than I already have. Actually, I would like to, but I won't. But anyway, uh, did you get the memo? Well, you know, you've heard that phrase. Uh, you may have used it, or maybe use it every day, but did you get the memo? In other words, the point is, did you get the message that was handed out? I always think of a post-it note, a little bit like what uh, is on the overhead there, a post-it note of somebody sticking that, so the reminder, so you, you remember what you're supposed to do or say or, or where, but did you get the memo? And I use that title for this reason. In the Gospels and into Acts, there are three themes that seem to run through the Gospels specifically. And on those, on those now there's lots of themes, okay? But there there's, appears to be three specific themes that are tied up in the Gospels, and then you will see them continually played out in the epistles. Now, there's many things, like I said, besides these three, but these three, and I think you'll agree with me once you see these, these three are, are consistently emphasized by Christ and his teaching. And then on into the epistles themselves, uh, whether it be Paul or John or Peter, who may have been writing. These three themes, the memo that has these, are given to and, and are, are to be carried out by the church. You know, in, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about this is the church age. You know, this is the, the age we live in today is called the church age. The, the church age is that which happened after the ascension of Christ. The church age, it comes about when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and permanently dwells within us. This is the church age. These three memos are to be emphasized by the church and by us personally. So we, we look at then the, how these are repeated. And again, remembering that repetition itself is the key to learning. So they're repeated so... Did you get the memo? Don't miss the memo. First of all, the Great Commission. Of course, the emphasis in the Great Commission is evangelism. You'll see it in all uh, three, primarily. It, it is in, in John, but not as strongly stated as it is in Acts. So you see the three of the Gospels, and then, of course, in Acts. As you look through there, and I'm going to read just the Acts 1 passage, if you, if you want to turn there. But Acts 1, verse 8, kind of really summarizes all the other three. Uh, you might want to say, this is the, the Reader's Digest version of the memo in verse 8. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end, end of the earth. The plan of missions, the people of missions, the power of missions, and the place of missions. The other plan is to make disciples. That's in Matthew 28. You have the people. Well, that's the whole world. In fact, when you go in the place of missions there in Acts 1.8, is it is Jerusalem. Well, that's Naples. And it talks about Judea. That would be Florida. Samaria would be a region or southeastern United States, if you want to put it that way. And then in the world, it spreads out all the world. The Philips, 
are missionaries that we support to Hungary. We are partnering with them. We can't go to Hungary. Or maybe you can, but you, you can't go to live there unless you have support. So we're supporting and, and partnering with the Phillips to go to Hungary so they can carry on their ministry as an extension of our ministry. An emphasis on evangelism. You and I have a personal responsibility not only to live the gospel, but to share the gospel. Uh, one of the things I appreciated by uh, the way of the master, in my own mind, I, I always thought, well, the Lord's going to provide opportunities. But the way of the master, when he says, we have a responsibility to create opportunities. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have the responsibility to hand out a tract. And maybe you will never get to the point where you'll actually be able to share the gospel, lay out the plan of salvation, but are you even giving out a tract? Did you get the memo? See, we have a responsibility in this whole area of evangelism, as, as it is emphasized, one of the themes that is emphasized uh, in the Gospels and on into Acts. And then you will see it repeated, just like Pastor Phil read this morning in Colossians chapter 4. He says, pray for us that, that we would have the words to say, to speak up. Paul, Paul kind of repeats that in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, pray for me that I'll have boldness. Well, that's, that's still carrying over that theme of evangelism, of sharing the gospel. Peter says, every one of us should be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. What, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about evangelism. So, the memo is evangelism. Did you get the memo? And we see that theme then carried consistently throughout the epistles, and emphasizing that again and again and again and again and again. Don't miss the memo. Evangelism. The second one is a great command. It has to do with relationships. Uh, turn over there to Mark chapter 12. I'm just going to read one of those, one passage there. Mark chapter 12 and verse, look down at verse 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, what was, what, what's the scene? What had happened here, the Sadducees had come, and, uh, or, and Pharisees, they were trying to trick Jesus. You either trick him into blasphemy or trick him to make some mistake. It's, it's almost like uh, politicians today, they're asked questions to see if they can get a sound bite. Of course, they couldn't trick Jesus. So that's why the scribe, he was listening to all this, and he thought, wow, he's answered everything well. I'm going to ask him this question. Because this question was a, a constant discussion among, within that group, of uh, what is the greatest command, or what's the first command. It's almost like you and I, if we sat around instead and said, how many angels can stand on the head of a needle or a pin? <laughs> Who cares? But this was, at the same time, important to them. Because it is Jesus now going to tell us and teach us what is the first and greatest command. So it's instructive, even though they were using it kind of as a, to try to trick him. Which is the first commandment? And Jesus answered him and said, first of all, the commandments is. Now he says what is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. This is Israel's confession of faith. So immediately, remember he's talking to a Jewish audience, immediately he has their attention. Because they, they know what he's talking about. They know where he's going with it. And, it's, and it is orthodox to their hearing 
that this great teacher would come back to their confession of faith. So he says, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If you look at both of those statements, love God and love your neighbor, both of those are talking about relationships. So I can say to you, what is your relationship with God? Are you saved? If you're saved, are you walking in obedience to his word? What is your relationship with God? Secondly, what is your relationship with other people? You know, many times if we have discord and strife and negative relationships with other people, it's because we're out of relationship with God to begin with. It's almost like an indicator. It's that thermometer. It's that gauge. So he says to them, you need to love God and love your neighbor. Supreme love of God, compassionate love for your neighbor. The relationships. The third one, no, by the way, did you get the memo? How's your relationships? So you have evangelism, you have relationships. And the third one is the great commitment. Again, turn over there in Mark, we'll look back at chapter 10. Verse 42 to 45. Um, Let me set the scene up a little bit. In one passage, it says James and John's mother went to Jesus. Another passage, it just mentions James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They went to Jesus and quietly, privately, away from all the other disciples, and they said, you know, when you get to heaven, could we sit on your right and your left side? The rest of disciples, one of them picked up on it, heard about it, they probably began talking among themselves, and there was a real resentment against James and John. So Jesus being who Jesus was, he uses it as a teachable moment. So now we come here to verse uh, 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise absolute authority over them. He said, this is what the world looks at leadership. This is how the world rules. Yet, it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Another translation says, you want to be great? You have to learn how to, or you want to lead? You have to learn how to serve first. And verse 44, whoever of you desires to be first, shall be slave of all, servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Did did you get the memo? That great commitment of service. A person who waits on another is defined to attend, to hold, to serve, to yield in obedience. It's submitting yourself to someone else's authority. Did you get the memo, that great commitment, that that teachable moment not to be served but to serve and give myself a ransom for many? 
How did Jesus demonstrate that? John 13. Remember when, he, when the disciples came in, they were at the Passover, he sat down and what did he do? He washed their feet. Remember that story? He washed their feet and he got to Peter and Peter said, oh no, you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, I must wash your feet. Well then wash me all over. Peter just went one stream and the other. It's always bouncing all off the walls, so to speak. The point is this. Jesus did not have to do that. He did it as an object lesson. We see how he humbled himself. He was willing to wash their feet. They were willing to wash his feet, but they weren't willing to wash each other's feet. Did you catch that? Service. They needed to learn this whole aspect of service. So, as we look at the different themes, as they run through the Gospels, there's others also, but these seem to be the three primary of evangelism, relationships, and service. I'm, I'm just going to focus in on service here in Colossians 3.23. In Deuteronomy 34, it says, Moses was the servant of the Lord. Exodus 24, Joshua was the servant of Moses. Jeremiah 25, it says, Jeremiah is called the servant of of God. Now, I'll turn over to Colossians 3.22. Did you get the memo? Evangelism, relationships, and service. What does that mean in this area of service? We know in evangelism, we need to be telling others about Christ. We need to be making disciples. We know relationships, we need to first of all have a supreme love of God and a sacrificial love towards our neighbor. When it comes to service, what does that mean? Well, it means to give to give, not give to get. It means to humble yourself, even as Christ did. Here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, specifically, I'm going to look at the marks of a servant. In other words, these are identifiable characteristics. We've talked about it before, family traits. There are family traits, uh, you know, the way you walk, the intonations of your voice, even the way things you think about, the things that are important to you. Those are usually because you spend so much time together. Those are the identifiable characteristics. That's what marks you. So what are the marks of a servant? The first one is the marks. He's marked. She is marked by obedience. He says, as bondservants, obey. The first mark of a servant is obedience. Now, let's look at the word bondservant because that's significant to understanding what it means to serve. A bondservant may have been an individual who was indebted or indentured servant who, after a period of years of serving out to pay that debt, was given his freedom. Instead, he chose or chooses to serve his master voluntarily rather than because he has to. Paul identified himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He was serving not because he had to, but because he wanted to. So a bondservant would be taken then by the master down to this, this city square, whatever, and he, he would be marked and have a ring of sorts, put, probably put in one ear or the other to identify him, that he is a free man, but he is chosen to be a servant. A bondservant obeys. He willingly places himself under the authority of another He wants to serve however, wherever, and whenever. 
Obey. There's two, two aspects that, that included in this idea of obey. To listen attentively and to follow absolutely. You listen attentively to the instruction, follow absolutely. You do not deviate from the blueprint. You follow the plan exactly the way it is. Three marks of the servant. Second mark. Mark by thoroughness. In all things, not with eye service as men pleasers. Comprehensive. Inclusive. All things. All means all, and that's all it means. Enjoyable. Disgusting. Not pick and choose. But marked by thoroughness in all things. Not with eye service. It's men pleasers. Superficial. Not, I should say, superficial or inconsistent. Not with eye service or as men pleasers. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a, I would not be a bond slave of Christ. Marked by thoroughness. Marked by obedience. Willing and wanting. Marked by thoroughness. All things, comprehensive, inclusive, not superficial, not inconsistent, as serving the Lord, as we'll talk about a little bit later, but also marked by sincerity. I think you remember the uh, illustration I've used before for sincerity. It came from the idea of, uh, of the clay pots, as they would form and shape the pots. Uh, often the potter might, has it dried through the kiln, it might have a crack in it. And so what they do is they would take wax and they would fill up that crack. So the only, one of the only ways, or one of the few ways to find out whether there was a cracked pot or not was to hold it up to light. And you could see the light coming through where the wax was. That meant that that was, a, that was not a sincere pot. It was cracked. And they were trying to cover it up. Marked by sincerity. I'm not, I'm not serving Christ for you to see it. I'm serving Christ for Christ to see it. I don't want to be a cracked pot. I don't want to live a lie. But in sincerity, or I could even use the word in consistency, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God, undivided mind, Singleness of mind, sometimes it's translated. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, and, and fearing God, that's a selfless focus. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who, who and what? He became like a man. He came like a servant. Humility and helpfulness are the things that mark Christ. We are to be marked by sincerity, marked by obedience, marked by thoroughness, marked by sincerity. As we, and again, there's other things you can talk about service, particularly hum, humility and helpfulness. But these are the things that are pointed out in this text by Paul. Let me just add that. The servant doesn't have an attitude because serving is his attitude. You, I mean, you know it, not that you would ever do it, but you know fellow employees or you've seen employees, they got an attitude. They come to work with the attitude. They go home with the attitude. You cannot tell them, you cannot work with them because they already have an attitude about why it won't work. Or their attitude is, uh, you're, you're just always, 
making up to the boss anyway, rather than with the willingness to serve for the sake of service. Because a serving is an attitude, a, a predisposition to serve, a predisposition just to give to give. Even if you get no credit, you're still going to serve. If you, even when you do get the credit, you usually try to deflect it. It's giving to give, not giving, giving to get. Because serving is an attitude. That's, that's the direction you're already pointed. And when you're, you, you go off, you're going to go off in service. That's just the way you're made. Listen, the, the marks of a servant, of obedience, thoroughness, and sincerity, because serving is your attitude. You're already pointed that direction. Secondly, I want to look at the motivation for service in verse 23 to 25. Evangelism, relationships, and service. Did you get the memo? And as a servant, what are the things that mark you? Could you be identified? Could you be identified as a servant? By your sincerity, by your obedience. Could you be identified as a servant by your thoroughness? Now the motivation. Why do I serve? Why would I want to even think about this? Or why is it going to be the motivation for this process? Verse 23, there in Colossians 3. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. First of all, it says, whatever you do, do it heartily. Now, that's a renewed purpose. A literal translation goes like this. To work from the soul. To give it all you got. Put your back into it. Uh, my son-in-law tells of the experience that he had in, I think it was junior high school. Very good student. Brought his report card home. A's all the way across. But in one of his classes, it said from a one to four for effort, one being the highest, four being the lowest, he had a three. He came home and he was pretty proud of his report card. But when his mom saw it, she looked at the report card and she looked at him and he said, I'm not happy with this. And he was like, why? She said, because you didn't do your best. A renewed purpose. Even though you get an A, doesn't mean you did your best. The renewed purpose is, is to whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it from the soul. Give it all you got. I remember... Uh, <laughs> This is a, I think it's a funny story. One of the things that, that my dad at growing up was says, you know, was kind of their, their phrase, you know, give it all you got. Do your best. And when I was a first year out of seminary, I was a youth pastor. And I was driving in a snowstorm. And you know how snow will, will pull you. I mean, if you hit the snow right, it'll pull you right into the ditch. And uh, I remember I hit the snow right. It was a snowstorm. It started to pull me into the dish. And I, I, in my mind, I thought, give it all you got. So I floored that van. And of course, I buried it in the, <laughs> in the ditch. But I, and I don't know why. That was just the, the thought that went through my mind. I was thinking, what, my dad, what would my dad do? Give it all you got, son. Give it all you got. The motivation for serving, renewed purpose, whatever you, whatever you do, give it all you got. Second, proper perspective. As to the Lord and not unto men. Not men pleasers, 
whatever you do, whether if you look back at verse 17, which is kind of a transition leading into the relationships between the home, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, whether it's action or whether it's your words, can you do it in the name of the Lord? The proper perspective. To act and speak consistently with who he is and what he wants. You notice how many times in our prayers, how many times we focus on what he's done for us and how little we focus on who he is. You know, as you think about your motivation for service, have that proper perspective to act and speak consistently with who he is, what he wants. The motivated, that new, that proper perspective, his perspective, his desires, whether it be our words or our deeds. The guiding principle, you notice there in verse 24 and 25, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. That guiding principle, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, but you serve the Lord Christ. What's the principle there? The law of sowing and reaping. You will reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow. You will reap later, if not sooner, more than you sow. You will reap exactly what you sow. You sow kindness, you reap kindness. You sow bitterness, defiance, guess what you're going to reap? And you know, it's, it's always interesting where you reap it. And they may not be personally to you, but you may see it reaping in your children. You may see it as you reap it in other areas of your life. And sometimes what you sow is reaped later in your life even. But it is reap. What you, the law of sowing and reaping, a guiding principle. Remember this, what you sow you're going to reap. Listen, if you, if you sow laziness, if you sow little effort, if you sow expecting big things when you're doing little things or nothing, you're going to reap what you sowed. I remember when I was at the college, I was at work during the summers at a, a um, driving range. And uh, I would get out in the cart and pick up the golf balls while they're whizzing by you. And I worked with other people there. And it was always amazing to me that they knew when break was and they knew when payday was. But they couldn't get on that tractor to go pick up golf balls for nothing. You're going to reap what you sow. So there's a guiding principle. That What motivates us? Not that I'm looking to reap, but at the same time, I understand this. You will reap what you sow. That's a guiding principle. The fourth one. A unique privilege. He says there at the end of verse 24, he says, For you serve the Lord Christ. And the New American Standard Bible says, It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You know what? When it's all said and done, it is all about him. This isn't my ministry, my ministry. You know, when we get to a place where we think this is my ministry, we've lost our perspective. 
because the unique privilege we have as believers is to serve the Lord Christ. It's all about him, to focus on him. Let me close this with this phrase. Self-righteous service requires external reward. True service rests content in hiddenness. We had an opportunity here to go to a, it was a hockey game the other night. Very good game, very exciting game. But as we drove away, one of the things I thought about it was, you didn't notice the referees. It's not that they didn't do their job, you just didn't notice them. The game wasn't determined by the referees. The true service rests content in hiddenness. You're going to be noticed. But if you're doing it to be noticed, you've got the wrong motivation. Did you get the memo? Evangelism, relationships, and service. Could we identify you? Could you identify me as a servant? What's your motivation? We serve the Lord Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can come and look in your word, spend the time together. We pray, Father, even as we go forth, we pray, Lord, for your, your direction and guidance to us. We pray, Lord, that our hearts may be very sensitive to the Spirit of God working and leading, that we will never lead, run ahead or lag behind. But truly in this area, Lord, of service and ministry, opportunities as they present themselves, Lord, I pray that we will serve for you and for you alone. Even with the talents or abilities, it still comes down to it's all about you. If you're here this morning, and I've not spoken to salvation, I've spoken to Christian service, but if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, well, you'd like to have someone show you from the Word of God how to be saved, you just raise your hand up quickly and put it down. I'll be happy to talk with you after the service. If others are here, you say, Pastor, again, just pray for me. Pray for this area of service. Is there anyone like that? Father, again, we thank you for the time we can come. We pray that your name be exalted, that uplifted, and truth, Lord, that we will go forth praising your name, saying the right things, doing the right things, because it is about you. In Christ's name we pray.